With Black Friday around the corner, you'll have more wallet out ready to buy traffic than ever. And with orders coming in hot and fast, we're going to want to maximize it by pulling on one of my favorite revenue levers, Average Order Value. There's one app I always recommend merchants install to bump AOV, and that's the Bold Upsell app. The Bold Upsell app is your best shot at having your best holiday season ever because it lets you create upsell and cross-sell offers when customers add something to their cart at checkout and even after checkout. So I'll let you in on the inside info that Bold shared with me. The after-checkout upsell has double the conversion rates of pre-checkout offers. That makes sense. It appears on your thank you page with an urgency-inducing countdown timer, last chance to buy headline, and an easy one-click upsell because it already has all of their shipping and credit card info stored from their order. Personally, I like to run both a pre- and post-checkout upsell because I don't want to leave money on the table, and I'm sure you don't either. But here's the best part. You can try Bold Upsell yourself for free right now. They have a free trial. Visit boldcommerce.com or search Bold Upsell in the Shopify app store to get it today. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stells to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. So Julie was gone. Oh, she we're went, starting already. Jeez. Wow. She went to Disney World and she went to she went to Disney World, did a solo trip, uh, went with a girlfriend, but it was just to create content for her website. This was a big deal. Sure it was. This was five days. Not to ride Space Mountain. She did ride Space Mountain. Yeah, right. only yes. for the only for content purposes. For content purposes. No, this was work. <laughs> She's running around like a mad person. And while she was gone, I'm I'm playing Mr. Mom. I'm taking care of her, her three kids at home. And I said, listen, guys, because they're, they're two, eight, and ten. And I told them, I said, your mom's gone. So there's no rules. We can do whatever we want. So we did eat our fair share of pizza. But I said, well, all right, on Friday, we'll do movie night, and you guys can pick any movie you want, whatever it is, even if it's R-rated. And they were like, this blew their mind. So the eight-year-old is trying to get me to pirate movies, first of all. That's what his go-to was. He's like, he wants first-run movies. So we settle on the original Lion King. Fine. The 10-year-old immediately goes, I want to watch It. I was like, oh boy, are you sure? He's like, I can handle it. Why do you think you can handle it? He's like, I'm not trying to challenge you. I just don't want you to have nightmares, watch something that's too scary. He goes, I've watched YouTube videos of the scariest horror games you can imagine. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, this kid is so screwed. He does not know what he's getting to. So I'm trying to, because if you're like, listen, you can't do that. Naturally, they're going to be like, all right, let's do it. So I'm trying to explain to both of them, you don't want to do this to yourself. They're not going for it. So we end up watching it the whole time. They're like, oh my God. 
freaking out, but I'm like, listen, we turn it off. We do. We don't have to do this to ourselves. Even I'm like, this thing's this movie's creepy. And no, they to their credit, they made it through the whole thing. And as soon as it's over, I preempted. I said, guys, just you sleep in the same bedroom. And the eight year old has my old queen bed, so they got plenty of space. I'm like, that way you won't be scared. Just sleep in the same bed. They didn't argue with me for a second. They're like, okay. And then I sent a video of them getting in bed together to my wife. And I'm like, why are you guys sleeping together? Because we watched it. And she was, thought this was very funny. But this is the part that I am both not proud of and very amused by. When I went to bed, I closed and locked my door. Because I don't want to be laying in bed and it's like midnight. And there's just, and I hear something. And there's some 10 year old in my room sneaking up on me because he had some preteen clown nightmare because I would, I'd have a heart attack. Like two days prior, he literally, I'm laying in bed, I just fall asleep, I'm like in twilight and I hear something. I'm like, is there someone there? And then he goes, Kurt. (laughs) (laughs) I about jumped out of my skin. So I'm like, I, and that was, I had not watched it. I was just minding my own business. So now I, I locked my children out of my bedroom for fear that they would frighten me in the middle of the night. I get that sometimes because, you know, my wife works, works nights. So me and I, some, so her and I sometimes sleep in separate beds because it's just easier because, you know, you don't want one person clomping into your bed at four in the morning. So we'll be offset. She might be off. I'll be going to bed. So it's like 1 a.m. and I'm going to bed, but she's already asleep because, you know, her, t- her timeline's all off. And so I'm like walking through the apartment and I just hear emerge from a room are you going to bed? <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, oh, of course I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah, knock first. Maybe clap. <laughs> Give me some warning. In our show notes, he has watched it written down, and I thought that was the name of our, the new official name of our opening segment, which is Watched It, the things <laughs> that we watched. We got, someone left a four-star podcast review, and they said, uh, he's like, wow, He's like, I stuck with it, and this podcast was really valuable, but first I had to listen to 10 minutes about what they watched on Netflix, and I almost turned it off. It's like, you can well, fast forward. Well, and it's worth it for the 40 minutes of knowledge bombs that come afterwards. Yeah, Screw just, you. But yeah. I just want a little bit of cold open in which it's clear that we are real-life human beings. Mm-hmm. That's all that's about. Uh, so my entry in Watched It is I watched Mystic Pizza. Which I'd never seen before. Mystic was, Pizza? I'm not yeah. familiar with this. That's, what? You never heard of Mystic Pizza? It's a famous like 80s movie about like three girls coming of age in like Connecticut. They work at a pizza place. I don't know if you're making this up or not. <laughs> this sounds made up. It was Julia Roberts' first movie. Really? Yeah. No, it's, this is all new to me. It's Julia Roberts and Lily Taylor, and I forgot who the third actress is. You know, and that Julia Roberts, that kid's going to be a star. <laughs> She's real good. I enjoyed it a lot. I love 80s women's pictures. You like coming of age tales? I like no, like Working Girl, awesome. Okay. Flash Dance, awesome. Okay, what, what are some of your other eighties <laughs> women's coming of age stories you enjoy? I just like them. I don't know. Uh, so, so there's yeah, that. I can see that. And then I've been playing. I played this game called uh, Nantucket. That's a eighteenth uh, century uh, whaling simulator where you run. A, Again, this sounds made up. Where you run a whaling boat? That's like a strategy game. And uh, it was really fun, and I enjoyed it greatly. And I saw on Twitter that the two Italian dudes that made it, you know, two Italian dudes making a uh, 1800s whaling game, they made an expansion pack and were looking for beta testers, so I emailed them. So I'm in the whaling game beta, 
and I've been playing it and giving them feedback. And I've I am, been enjoying it a lot. I was going to say, when, you are, when you're passionate about something and you can connect with the creator and then help provide, like, give helpful feedback on it, that's a really cool feeling. Yeah. It's always, and part of it's like you were in the right place at the right time where you got in early. It's always fun. Mm-hmm. To, to have that connection and feel like, okay, I was a part of this. I shaped this. And don't worry, the game is actually in the Moby Dick expanded universe. So, like, you know, <laughs> you got to, like, take out, like, Starbuck is a character in the game. You got to take out Moby Dick at the end. <laughs> uh, so, did you? I did. Yeah. No, I beat the regular game. Congratulations. That's what made me into getting the expansion pack. Uh, I want to put, I want to take this opportunity to put GoPro on blast. So, I'm a, a big proponent of, you got to create content. Uh, Gary V is always saying, uh, document and don't create. And that's what we were trying to do with um, Julie's Disney trip was, all right, you go and then document the whole thing and turn that into podcasts. Like podcasts, video reports, trip reports, articles. And she did. And as part of that, I had to, had to load her down with gear. And so I sent her with my Canon 60 Mark II and a big 2470 L glass lens. And we did, uh, I gave her that, a uh, stabilized camera that she then ended up using and a GoPro which she strapped to her head in the nerdiest fashion possible so that she could shoot the rides. And this damn GoPro is a GoPro Hero 7. Their stock's been having problems because they've had quality control issues, product issues, and I experienced it firsthand when she came back, and the SD card was corrupted because this thing's half the time just turns off while you're recording and corrupts the video. So I ended up losing all the ride videos, but for one where I was able to save part of it. I was so frustrated by it. So I'm, I'm taking this opportunity to say, don't trust your GoPro for any actual like mission-critical content creation. And um, if you've got a whole bunch of GoPro accessories, you can use those with other action cameras because it's kind of turned into an open standard. So I picked up a, a DJI, I like them a lot, a DJI Osmo Action, which is like just a full-on, hey, we ripped off a GoPro and then made it a little better camera. I like it a lot. And so, yeah, the, my point is GoPro's... GoPro's a POS. A point of sale? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> Finally, should this podcast be video as well? No. I think it should. I just don't look forward to the level of editing I'd have to do. If I could outsource that, if someone wants to say, hey, I'm a freelance video editor, I could do this for you, reach out to me, I am absolutely listening. I want to at least try it for a couple, couple times if I could get someone else to do the work. Waste of time. I think the more I read about it, I think uh, YouTube is a is also a podcasting platform. I don't like it. <laughs> We're already creating the podcast, <laughs> and it's in one medium. Why not turn that into two mediums? Uh, I don't use that medium. Therefore, so, it's bad. So no one else does? Uh-huh. And so what's the point? You know, that's essentially the pushback I hear <laughs> when I suggest something like, I, I'm trying to get people to pay attention to and adopt SMS marketing as a channel, especially before Black Friday. Oh, that's such a good segue into one of our questions. Well done. Is it? Thank you. Yeah. Whenever I do this, people are like, well, whenever I get a transactional text message, I reply stop right away. That's like an exact quote somebody wrote. Well, when I... Okay, that's what you do. That's, you don't know that that's what 100% of your customers do. For many, they may view it as a value add. They may view it as convenient. Because the average person gets 150 emails a day. And so, you're right. So, I'm sorry. We have a listener question asking, Kurt, what's your take on SMS marketing right now? Tom Brown (laughs) from Posted Protein. Are you seeing many stores deploying the likes of SMS Bump and Retention Rocket with wild ROI? 
I also, I like that he mentioned SMS Bump and Retention Racket because I know both of those guys and they're, they're, they're both excellent products. You couldn't, really couldn't go wrong with either. Um, but all right, so we've got, off the top of my head, we've got three clients using SMS and it's tremendously good. One is using it for primarily abandoned card and browse abandonment uh, and it, it works very well. It's better than email in terms of open rates and click-through rates um, and recovery rates. And the other is using it to announce sales and product launches. See, and both of these... What's I, feel like that, I feel like that's better. I if like I that. got an abandoned cart text, I'd be like, mm, this is creepy. I Have you like ever it. gotten an abandoned cart text? No, but I'm saying if I did, I wouldn't like it. I got one once, and it would have been creepy, but for whatever reason, it had... Uh, and these apps do this. It had an image of the, the product, so it was a multimedia thing, and it was set up like customer service, where it's like, if you have any questions, reply. And I didn't reply, and I didn't buy anything, but I was very impressed by this. Mm. Um, so, well, what's interesting about these two clients that are using SMS in these two different ways and both having success, one skews male and younger the other skews female and older. So it's really like between these two data points, we're covering the most of the population and they're both having equal success. So I've heard some people say, um, I've heard people make claims like, oh, this is better for older people. And I've heard people say, this is better for younger people. Well, would be, Everybody would, uses text I was messaging. Like, Why would texting be better for older people? Is like my first question, but. So they don't, don't want to deal with email because it's simple and straightforward. I don't know what the argue, the ageist argument is for. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I think if you are not experimenting with SMS marketing and you're going, oh, well, it's spammy and I don't like it, get out of your own way and just try it. Just try it for two weeks and see what it does because all of these platforms support attribution, support reporting. So you can figure out if this makes sense and will work for your brand very easily, but you just have to try it. Oh, well, I mean, and that just goes to our general thought process here, which is, just try it. Like, will you just try it? Yeah, just experiment. This is like trying to get my children to try new foods. Like, just try it. You might like it. And they fight you like, no. And the great quote I always get from the oldest child was, he doesn't do this anymore, but he goes, I think I tried that when I was a baby. Like, what? <laughs> so I like, so you can't just try it again? I mean, what's the worst that could happen here? And then, of course, they try it. They're like, oh, it's great, right? Well, and the the most frustrating to us is we get people that call us and are like, hey, I think I might want to try this thing. Could you do that for me? And we're like, sure, here you go. Like, let's get going. Like, send us money and we'll get and we'll do it for you. Here, we'll write up a proposal. We'll have a couple phone calls, but we'll get this all ready to go. And then they get to the last stage and they just get cold feet and they're like, oh, no, I don't want to do it. Like, why'd you go so far? Like, just freaking do it. Well, because it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it. I, I, Everybody I wants to be gangster. Nobody wants to do gangster shit. Tom Brown's other question is, what's the average number of apps you see merchants installing on their stores? Seems to be a lot of folks out there not realizing the speed implications of having too many apps. I mean, it's like Tom knows us and is just setting us up Yeah, here. he just set us up because my answer to the average number of apps you see is too many. Stop it. It's a frightening number. I mean, at this point, if I see a store, if I log into a store and it has 20 apps, I don't think twice about it. That doesn't phase me. If I see 30 40 apps, I go, okay, that's a lot, but it's in, in no universe is it unusual in any way. Those numbers are too high. 30, 40? <laughs> yes. If you have 30, 40, you're like, what are you doing? 
you it's don't a lot. need all these. Uh, and oftentimes you go, okay, hey, are there any of these that you don't need? And at some point they hit a tipping point where they go, I don't know anymore. There's so many. I don't know what we use and don't use. And it's also like, well, we hired a vendor who said, hey, let's use this to solve this problem. And pretty quickly you're like, I got no idea what's going on anymore. And they're scared to break the machine. They don't want to uninstall anything and break something. But I think the, the solution here, and we've talked about this before, is number one, regularly do an app audit where you just go through the list to go, what am I even using this thing? Is there a better solution out there? And uh, what's the ROI? Like if I am using it, should I even be bothering? So I think that's, you do it like once a quarter. Like the, the two problems with apps are A, uh, well, you're dealing, you, you get overwhelmed or you don't know what's what. That's less of an issue. Number two, the a la, the a la carte pricing starts to add up. So if you're looking for like, here's a fixed recurring cost in my business I can reduce, look at the apps. Yeah, like five apps too many, like that could be 50 bucks a month. Yeah, if it, you know, an app could be anywhere from $5 to $50. Yeah, 15, 20 bucks is not unusual. Yeah. Well, you get 10 of those. That's 50 to 100 bucks a month. All right, it starts adding up. Yeah, that's the next level of Clavio that you're worried about having to pay for. Yes. There's the money for that right there. Yeah, that's kind of that's an interesting thing where people are like, "Oh, that one app is expensive." I'm like, "Yeah, but you've got ten ten dollar apps installed in here." Yeah, you got and ten, you didn't think twice about you those. got ten dollars shit apps, but you're you're really scared of like upping your email rates. Yeah. Like, oh no, I'm gonna pay two hundred bucks for the number one revenue driving sales channel. There's also the performance implication of apps. So when you install an app in your theme, it adds some code to the theme, it adds some JavaScript calls, it probably has some supporting JavaScript in the heads as well. And this is where themes get bloated very quickly. Because typically, when you uh, merchant installs an app, 50% of the time, they're going to install it same day. And realistically, like within a few minutes. I install it, I decide, eh, this isn't for me, or I just don't want to deal with this right now. Whatever the reason is, then uninstall it. The problem is it left the code behind. When you click delete or uninstall in your Shopify app store on an app, all it, do, it only does one thing. Disconnects the app's connection to your store. That app cannot go back and uninstall itself, which is very, it's frustrating uh, for the app developers, but they do it to protect merchants. I get it. Um, so you end up with all this, this old crufty code in the app store and the same problem. Like you don't know what's what, especially with digging through theme code. You don't want to break your theme. Understandable. So here's the process everyone should put in place for installing apps. Duplicate your theme, install the app, decide if you want to keep it. If not, then just roll the theme back. Well, that's not useful. That's not necessarily useful for a lot of people because you have, uh, it may take a while for you to decide whether you need it or not. And while that's going on, you're making other changes to your store. I agree with you, but I, I know the stats are, it's about 50% of the time they're going to uninstall it immediately. Oh, you're right. We can look at our apps. Yeah. Generally yeah. people know within 48 hours whether they want to keep it or not. It's, you, it's like within minutes. The same day install, uninstall, I, for us is probably uh, 50%. I oh, think yeah. that's pretty normal. Well, and, and the thing to point out here is, you know, a lot of these, the way Kurt usually presents it, it's like the problem is occurring on site on your store. But in my experience, the actual problem is, you know, these apps are running on a script that is being served from the app company servers. So they have a JavaScript that is on their servers that your store pings and asks for that script on everyone's page loads. And that makes it easy for the app developer because they just need to update one one file on their servers and then they can kind of essentially update the app. 
But the problem is, is that their servers are generally a lot slower than Shopify and those files can be pretty big. So a lot of times I see people that are like, oh, my store is slow. I feel like it's slow. My page load's too big. My Google page speed score is too high. Boo. And what the main culprits sometimes are, are these giant external files that are being called from outside of Shopify that take a long time to come in that is being, that is attached to some app that you have installed. So it's these, these external scripts are killing your scores. If you care about scores, which you shouldn't, but I understand reality and killing your load times. If I want to figure out my load time, what's the tool to do it? I know the tool I like, but that's not the tool you you will say. Well, that's why I'm asking you. Well, my tool is to uh, all browsers have a thing called inspector or, you know, some sort of developer window or inspection window or something like that. And it has a tab called network and you just load your website in the network tab and it breaks down every single file, how big it is and how long it took to get there. Yes. And you could easily see the problem, children. Yes. I like, uh, if you don't want to mess with developer tools in your browser, I like Pingdom tools a lot. Uh, you could use that. And what's nice about Pingdom tools or using like an external one is it's pinging from their server. So maybe you can get a more consistent result. It's less reliant on your own internet connection. Uh, so I'll link to that in the show notes, Pingdom tools, tools.pingdom.com. I think that one's nice. And it like it really it outputs exactly the same thing that you're talking about. It just does it in a, an easier, friendlier way. Well, they give you a score, though, too. Which they again, also send a kinda, score to it. Kinda, which... We don't feel good about scores because scores are sort of what try to be one size fits all for every website. And for some reason, all those score tools really dig on Shopify when they shouldn't. Yeah, it's essentially the grade, the letter score that they're giving you, uh, which um, is frustrating because they you don't know what the metrics are that they're judging you by, but then they're giving you a letter score, which just creates a whole bunch of anxiety, needless anxiety for business owners, for merchants. So I hate it for this reason. At this thing, Google PageSpeed just out there torturing people daily. Someone, a Shopify app partner, wrote a wonderful article called The Truth About Google PageSpeed Insights for Shopify. And they sent it to me. They said, hey, we heard your discussion. Uh, we thought you'd be interested in this article we wrote. I don't recall if it was like inspired by or related to, but whatever. I send this thing out at least weekly to somebody because it comes up all the time. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. It's very good. It should help you worry less about it. Moving forward, uh, we got an SEO question. So people worry about page speed because they think it affects SEO. It does, but not to the... That's the point where you should care about it. Malik Mudisar, and I'm sorry for butchering your name, send me the... This guy's asked uh, good questions more than once. You should just... Message me the phonetic pronunciation of your name so I don't butcher this in the future. I think it's Malik Mudassar. It is? Yeah, why not? I, well, it's as soon as you're pronouncing someone else's name, you want to be Oh, I, No, I understand up. you want to get it right, but I don't think that one's that hard. Like people call me, uh, hey, is, is Chris Ulster there? How did you, what? I get Retta all the time. Retta? Uh, my whole life. So he asks, how often should you be changing your product descriptions? To keep up with SEO, or should you be changing them at all? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you changing your product descriptions? Well, I think this is a, a case of uh, you don't know what you don't know, so hey, let's find out. And my guess is as to why should you, he's asking why should you change your product descriptions and keep up with SEO. I'm assuming this is either like, should are we putting keywords in it based on what we think we can rank for? Or um, there's this idea that Google prefers recent content. I don't know how true this is. And so, like, we have to keep it up to date so it's quote-unquote fresh. 
I wouldn't change it for either of those reasons. I would take a different approach. And this is what we've been doing with our uh, retainer clients. We run an exit intent survey on the site that says, hey, if you didn't make a purchase today, why not? And once a month, once a quarter, I go through those questions and I look for trends, but I also just pull out the easy answers or the easy questions specific to a product. Because if one person asked that, 10 other people thought it. And that's what we use to revise product descriptions over time. It's just what are what questions are people asking? Add the answer or objection buster as a bullet point or a line in that description or an FAQ, whatever it is. So like probably the most common one uh, that merchants miss that I see is what are the dimensions of X? So it's like, what are the dimensions of this sticker? What are the dimensions of this brush? Yeah, what's this this shirt that you say is XL? What's XL really mean? Not even that, like you... Even you, I'm when saying, I say it dimensions, to like everything. Yeah, you jump to size guide, but it's re- it's it's everything. everything. Oh yeah, my brother showed me like this cool 1950s retro refrigerator that was like it's modern, but it looks like a 50s retro refrigerator. And cool. he's like, and he's like, you would want this. And it's like cherry red. I was like, oh man, I do want that. And then I looked at the dimensions, which were on there in inches, and I calculated it, and I was like, wait, that's four and a half feet tall. I don't want that. <laughs> like that thing's pointless. I guess it'd be for like a garage. He's or like, put it, he's like, put it in cave. your garage. I was like, no, yeah. it looks baller. I want, you got to show off how baller it is. You don't stick it in your garage. You want it for the kitchen. That's right. Okay. But yeah, no matter, almost no matter what the product is, people can't see it in person. They can't touch it. They have no frame of reference, especially when it's just like product on white. So yeah, the dimensions are weirdly one of the biggest things we see as like the, the reason they didn't buy supposedly. So the answer to this question is, you should be changing your product descriptions, but based on customer feedback in order to sell it to future customers better. Yes. And that's why you... Not to try and beat Google, which you, is a thing you will never do, so stop worrying about it. Yeah. Google just wants the relevant answer to a person's question. Each The search results are answers, and the search term is a question. They just want the most relevant thing. So looking at SEO as like a customer service thing, this is how you approach it. So you've got li- maybe you've got live chat on your site. Be ask people are going to ask questions. Hey, did you have any questions? Treat this like you are in a retail store. Anything I can help you with today? Any questions? And they will tell you what their objections are. You note that down. You add it to the description. Same with like that exit intent question that I love to run in Hotjar. Um, if you didn't make a purchase today, why not? I love that thing. And uh, even your abandoned carts. I think that first abandoned cart message should either be focused on customer service or include a note in there. If you have any questions, reply to this email, let us know, and then have a system in place where you are logging those questions and then you can go through and update your product descriptions every so often. I think we saw yesterday that Stamped has something like that built into it. They, Yeah, it was on... On NutriKey had that. Yeah, NutriKey, uh, which is a cool... If you're in the supplement space, NutriKey site's very nice. Um, that's on Turbo. And they're running Stamped Reviews. And when you make a purchase on the order confirmation page, Stamped has a thing that pops up that asks, hey, why did you make a purchase? So it's um, uh, that's customer development. So you're going to find out, okay, what was, why are people buying? And then that info is really helpful to inform your marketing, to be able to write headlines that really speak to people. Um, so yeah, if you have Stamped yeah. running on your store for the reviews, you can also get these post-purchase comments from people and they're very useful. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I didn't know it, it did that. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, US-based customer service specialists 
to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now, back to the show. Hit me. All right. What do we got here? Uh... Ma- Maud, not see. I made that thing about names. And I don't <laughs> Girl, it's easy. It. It's easy. Uh, I'm going with. I'm going with. She's French. Maud Lavoie. Uh, Very nice. She asks, "What is the common or worst uh, mistake that merchants make with Black Friday, Cyber Monday?" And I'm going to go with not doing enough emails. Uh, yeah, I will say the. Mis- How many emails do you think you should send? Send like fifty percent more than that. The common mistake is leaving money on the table. Yeah, and you're doing it by not. Sending enough. So if on a regular day, the average person's getting 150 emails or something crazy, um, on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, especially for online shoppers, it is going to be extreme. And they're also going to be getting hit up on other channels as well. So uh, I talked to Ezra Firestone two days ago, and he laid out for me the full his full Black Friday strategy for 2019 with their goal of making a million dollars on Black Friday. And he said, the Black Friday sales start November 8th. November 8th is, hey, if you want to be an early bird, get early access to the sale, sign up on this website. And then uh, sign up for this list. So then they essentially run their Black Friday sale to these VIPs, these early birds who opted in, two weeks in advance. And that gives them an opportunity to test it. Then they run the sale again on Black Friday. And for any of these major days, like Black Friday, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you're getting three emails. Sale starting. Sale's going to start at this time. Sale has now started. Sale is ending. You can do it that way. Like, yeah. hey, here it's coming. Hey, the sale's running. Hey, supplies are low. All right, sale's ending soon. Or, hey, here's the preview for tomorrow. You come up with any number of reasons. But he generally, the cadence he goes with, um, he said 7 a.m., 5 p.m., 10 p.m. Because you don't know when people are going to be checking their email. I mean, you could look. Especially because people, I mean, most people are not at work those days. So, you know, they're bouncing around, going to family seeing movies and then post uh well you got black friday you got cyber monday then you could also do hey here's the last day to order um with guaranteed shipping regular shipping then hey here's the last day to order express shipping um and then i've talked to several merchants the smart money is on like right on christmas that's when you do your new year's sale if you wait till january it's too late and they've got that credit card bill coming due you know, it's less fun. There's always that, like, holiday hangover in January. So right around Christmas, people have gift cards. They're feeling good. Maybe they had some eggnog. That's when you say, hey, New Year, New You. You do your New Year's sale on Christmas. Well, yeah, you got to get ready for New Year's Day. Yes. You get, the New You has to be ready on New Year's Day. So with shipping and everything, you got to buy that stuff on Christmas. But there's, like, certainly <laughs> you know, people with the New Year starting, with resolutions, with the holidays ending, um... That's definitely uh, when people jump into like new hobbies, new interests, new things. So if your if your brand fits at all into that, like even for us, our the month that we see the most podcast downloads for years has always been January because that's when you say my resolution is to start my business, my resolution is to scale my business. That's my theory. Anyway. Oh yeah, it's like everyone at, everyone's at the gym in January. Yes. I'm going to get ripped this year. Yeah. I mean, no one questions that that's a true phenomenon. Yeah. The same thing is going, you can leverage that exact same phenomenon in your store. So the short answer is send more emails. Please send more emails. <laughs> no one's going to be mad at you. This free for all on Black Friday. 
and mix it up with it doesn't have to be like sheerly promo use as an opportunity reintroduce your brand reintroduce your top products yeah and start early At, yeah we need it doesn't start thanksgiving day yeah i this, think this you, starts you know veterans day or whatever anytime you're doing a big sale a product launch a promo whatever it is i think you start teasing it minimum two weeks in advance and that's really that seems to be what supercharges it like you don't want it to be a full-on surprise you want it to to people go oh yeah i remember that because familiarity breeds trust um maybe it can help with like planning spending i don't know but it it definitely works when you start earlier it breeds contempt (laughs) adam watson says great last episode thank you adam What's the best multi-currency app? I'm launching a new store and targeting several different countries, mostly English-speaking, but some uh, not. Is there a good translation app and currency converter in one? So the site would be eligible for Google Shopping Germany, for example. Uh, It's the same thing, and then Peter Murphy also asked the same thing about uh, what app. uh, Well, read his question. Oh, come on. Uh, No. (laughs) <laughs> he he just, says it would be great if you covered the new multi-currency yeah. settings that Shopify's rolled out for all users. Like what app to use when having it automatically show the customer's local currency. Alright, you ready for the dark truth? I've not messed with this yet. I really don't know the answer. Um, so I could be wildly wrong here, but my understanding is when using so Shopify announced multi-currency payments, meaning in the past Multi-currency was uh, the theme or an app, uh, like Bold Multi-Currency, would do a currency conversion in the theme. And then when they hit checkout, and really all it was just JavaScript would look up like what the rate is and then do a little math on it. It was cool. It worked. But the downside to that was when they hit the checkout process... It's now all of a sudden in dollars. It always goes back to whatever the store's native currency is. So if you have a U.S. store, it'd be U.S. dollars. And that's you get that warning in the cart page. That's like all you know. You know the cart page will say fifty, uh, fifty Canadian dollars, and then it'll be like, but all process, all orders are processed in U.S. dollars. That's not a great experience. Yeah, because who knows what that is off the top of their head. Yeah, and then it's a question of like, well, how are you doing this? Um, so they Shopify announced uh, for Shopify Plus stores initially, and now it's been rolled out to everybody. If you're using Shopify payments, you could sell in multiple currencies in your checkout, which is super cool. That's in the checkout, but these guys are asking about the front end, like on the store and on the product pages. So does Bold Apps multi-currency change the price on the product pages? Yeah, that's what it does. Okay, so they still need that. Well, and that's what I'm looking at the support document for... Shopify's multi-currency payments. And this is what I'm confused about. Your customer could pay for their orders and receive refunds in their local currency. Okay, so it's happening in the checkout. The customer's local currency can be chosen from their location or from a currency selector that you can add to your theme. All right? And this is truth what I don't understand is do you does the Shopify multi-currency work with the existing apps and themes that support multi-currency? I don't know. I have not played with it. See, I think Shopify multi-currency is entirely in the checkout. So it is not hitting the front end of the store. So you just do whatever you're thinking. You do like the standard thing in the front end. I think you and got, then you run multi-currency. I think you need two solutions. I think you need something on the front end that swaps the prices out according to whatever. And Shopify handles the back end if final checkout last mile. Then do 
complicate things a little more. If you're on Shopify Plus, it can do custom rounding rules. So it'll always like, so you don't get odd currencies, it'll round to like 95 cents, even if it's doing the, the conversion. Yeah, it's not clear to me how you're supposed to set this up. I got to research this and bring it up again. So if the question is, what's the best multi-currency app? The answer, if we're looking for a, an app solution, I still think the answer is bold multi-currency app because it supports, uh, it's simple and it supports uh, GOIP. So if I land on the site and I'm in Canada and it's a US store, it automatically has pre-selected Canada as the currency. But as far as like how that implements with Shopify's multi-currency setup, I gotta, I gotta look into it because I'm looking through the documentation and it's not, like I really just need a list of like, here's the caveats, here are the requirements. Moving forward, this one's interesting. Michael Wilkes asks, do sellers bother to block site traffic from other countries? I've seen the apps and even tried one. Could not prove that it worked, so removed it to trim the app count. Why are you doing that? This is my number one question is, why? I wish we, I should have replied to this comment and asked for the background. Like, why do you want to do this? We did have a client that did that, that they were like, I'm blocking all the Russians because of the Russian hackers are going to hack my store, so I'm blocking all Russian IPs. Well, spam is a problem. So you're getting, like, if, all right, if I have a store and I don't sell internationally, I only sell in the U.S. or maybe I only sell in U.S. and Canada, and you think, all right, so as not to provide a frustrating experience to them to reduce, I don't know, some security risk for me to reduce spam, I could block these foreign IPs. And also then I'm not, I'm less likely to skew my conversion rates because I'm not having people come to the site. I'm trying to think through and make an argument for doing this. It's so tortured, though. It's a tortured yeah. argument. There's no point in blocking other countries, even if you don't sell to them. Who cares? But it, it, Shopify is not charging you by the hit. He says, I could not prove that it worked, though, so I removed it. If you want to test this, because we've got uh, stores that where you have to, where we forward people between different stores, depending on their location, or we automatically change the currency, uh, you want to use a VPN. And I use a, it's called a, a virtual private network. Uh, and a VPN will let you route the traffic from your computer through a different country. People do this for security. They do it. I use it uh, primarily for just testing this stuff where it's like, all right, what happens if I access this site from the UK? Does it change to the UK site? And the app I really like for that uh, is called Private Internet Access, PIA. It's inexpensive. It's sleek. And it's a little, it works on um, my phone and my desktop. I don't really use it on my phone. Uh, but I could just go in there and say, connect from this country. And then, boom, I, when I go to that site, they're going to think I'm connecting through that country. So I'll link to that in the show notes uh, as well. But as far as, like, do sellers block site traffic from other countries? We've seen, we've had one customer do it years ago, and they don't do it anymore. And it was really, it was just about um, limiting spam. And if you wanted to do it, you could, but I, you got... I don't know what, like, the really compelling use case is here. Like, think through that first. Uh, but if you want to, you can, and that's how to test it. But I'm just not. It's more of, like, a thought exercise than <laughs> something you should do or consider. Uh, I also, you know, I just want to avoid being, like, overly critical of questions because I want people to ask whatever, like, off-the-wall question they have. It would be helpful to, like, for future questions just to have, like, a little bit of background. Like, here's the why. Well, if it's not obvious. Well, they're not going to learn unless we make fun of them on the podcast. <laughs> it's important to have fun with it. <laughs> so, uh, any thoughts there? Don't do it. That's a waste of time. 
All right. Stop yes, focusing right. on waste of time. The next question. Kevin Elliott. This is a long one, and it's going to have a short answer. I wonder if there's a solution to this common issue we have. All right, and the reason I, this question is in here is because I've seen this come up more than once. People have asked me this before. Account creation is optional at checkout on our site. Returning visitors try to log into their account, but they can't since they didn't create one. So I go to the site, I try and make a return order, and I, I've done this, and I think to myself, oh, do I have an account? And maybe there's like a common password I use that I know my emails. I, and I can't. So I said, well, all right, I'll reset my password. But I don't get one because the, they don't get an email because they don't have an account. Then they try to create a new account. Shopify tells them their email already exists, so they can't create an account. Finally, some people call, and we send the account invite email. Some people order as a guest, and some people get fed up and leave. I think the answer here is if account creation is optional and it's creating these frustrations, go full guest checkout. Turn account creation off. I'm so glad you said that because I was worried you were going to say make everyone create an account. No, no, my gosh, don't. And I was going to be like, no. (laughs) So for sure, one of the things we know about conversion rate optimization, and this is like a universal truth, the fewer fields you have in checkout or the fewer fields you have in any form – the and, higher the conversion rate will be. Yeah, or decision points or roadblocks or whatever you want to call it. Just simplify the process because when you're dealing with these things at scale, every extra action, no matter how small, is a chance for somebody to bail. Uh, and so this account creation process, it's okay, but it's it, the way Shopify does it is they check out as normal and then at the end it says, hey, add a password, you create an account. So well, that's a really nice frictionless way to do it. The issue is when they go to check out up front, it says, hey, log in or check out as guest. And that's where the issue comes in. It should just always be check out as guest. I think the problem with that is, though, does that hinder your email acquiring? No, because it's still that, that checkbox. Um, and even if someone has an account, they could still opt in and out of emails. So I don't think it has an impact on that. It's Some stores need an account to log into. So if I'm doing subscriptions, if... Uh, if, especially if it's like... Um, or they have like wholesale stuff. Wholesale, you, customer pricing needs it. and But if it's like um, a situation, well, like tea. If I have like my regular tea order I place, and it, it makes my life easier if I can go in, see my past orders, and just click reorder. Like that's a common customization we do. Is in their order history, they could just click reorder. So there are situations where accounts are beneficial, um, especially if it's a consumable good. Kevin here is not the first person to bring this issue up to me. So this sounds like, and I don't know what the cause is, I don't know what the solution is, because I've heard this several times. Well, I see a couple problems, and I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not entirely certain how every stage of the Shopify account creation works, but one, they try the reset password link and don't get an email as they have no account. I feel like there should be an error right? that pops up that says you can't reset a password you can't send a reset. We can't send a reset password link to this email because this email isn't connected to an account. But then, then they try to create a new account, and Shopify tells them their email already exists. How's that work? Because they placed an order in the past, so they have a guest account. I think the way you're su- it's supposed to work, you go back to your order confirmation page, and then you create the account from there. Question mark. Because that seems like that shouldn't work. If they, if an email isn't associated with an account, you should be able to create one. Or there should be some sort of error message that guides them to doing it. I'm testing this right now on a site. I'm trying to reset a password with an email that I know is not legit. 
Now, see, okay, this is what's odd about this. I said, well, I did. I tried it. I said reset password. It said no account found with that email. But if I've checked out as guest, then it will say. This is confusing. That's bad. Well, I mean, that's a bad. I'll just say it. That's a bad design. If it does do that, there needs to be there needs to be better information given to the user. Let me try this again with an email that does exist that I may have used as a guest. Okay, so I did it. It said, we'll send you an email to reset your password. And I did get the account reset password, and it was for an account that was a guest checkout. All right, so trying to replicate this issue, I couldn't do it. I don't know. So isn't that happening to everybody? I don't know. I'm not sure what the, the issue is, but if this is a real issue, the answer, if the, consider if turning off turning accounts. Turning off accounts, yeah. Guest checkout. Anything you could do to make people have to type in less things, always. Yeah, absolutely. If only we could make product pages where they just just click one button and it's all done. So like dynamic checkout. I know, with Apple but it's Pay? like charged and like they don't have to put in their shipping or anything. That's how Apple Pay works and Google Pay. I know. People yeah, should use, sweet. People should use that more. Yeah, I'm surprised. Like not every merchant is running dynamic checkout buttons in their store, and not every person has Apple Pay and using dynamic checkout. Oh, I think that thing's dangerous. It makes impulse purchases too easy. I know. We want that. I've got, well, I've, I've bought some dumb t-shirts because of uh, Apple Pay making it too easy. It's like, I want this. Eight seconds later, I own it. Eh, maybe I should have waited 30 seconds. Okay, final question from Sue Gila, who says, if you sell products on Amazon and Shopify and your goal is to capture those Amazon customers, do you limit the number or variations of items on Amazon to drive sales to Shopify store? Or do you increase Amazon price and bring shoppers back to your store? Or do you keep all products equal? Or do you get off Amazon? Screwing with your Amazon listing to make the prices higher or limiting the selection is only going to lower your sales. First off, do they even know you have a Shopify store if they're looking at it on Amazon? Secondly, if you degrade the Amazon experience, they're not going to be like, oh, I'll go check their mythical Shopify store that I'm not sure it exists. They're just going to be like, well, I'm not buying this. All right. And so then you lost the sale. All good questions. I don't know what the right answer is here, but let's think through it. The We have seen stores that have Amazon listings, where it's like it, they started as an Amazon seller exclusively, then they add a Shopify store. Will, as soon as that store is indexed, start getting branded search showing up from Google. So that tells me, People who look at the listing on Amazon are turning around and Googling it. What? Yeah. So, And I don't know what percent it is, but for sure that phenomenon is real. And there are people who will look, find your Shopify store through a Facebook ad, look at it, go, I want this, and then they'll check to see if it's on Amazon because of convenience. So I've, they know I've, you, they've you, already got all they, their stuff saved in Amazon. Yeah, they got that shipping. So to your point, like I don't have to type anything in. Yeah. You know, I can just go in. Or maybe they want to add it to their wish list. Or they want to check reviews. There's a whole number of reasons they might go look on Amazon. So first, I think uh, to that point, you got to make the user experience on your site match that of Amazon. So dynamic checkout button, maybe even add Amazon Pay as a mobile checkout uh, to add that convenience factor. Match the free shipping that Amazon does. Uh, and make sure you have social proof, your customer reviews. And then one of the weird things I see is Amazon listings are always so good. They really nice listings, and Amazon sellers really nail those listings because that's like their whole experience is one this one listing. If you have already gone through that effort and you've got that great listing, I want exactly that same thing oh, on yeah. your Shopify store. You should store. recreate that on your product page 100%. Yes. I mean, I love when we get a, uh, approached by a client who's like, hey, I've got a successful Amazon store. I want to get 
on Shopify and start owning that customer experience because I know it's going to be, um, yeah, it's a lot of copying and pasting, but I know I'm going to have really solid product listings yeah. to work with. And So yes, this is happening. Answer some of those ob- objections by adding dynamic checkout, Amazon pay reviews, and equivalent product listing. Um, make sure your return policy is very clear because that's the other thing. There's like that safety net with Amazon where I know the return process with Amazon is fairly straightforward. I go, all right, I didn't want this. It really comes down to who's paying return shipping, and then I go drop it off at Kohl's or whatever. Um, so have that that return policy front and center. Um, as for the pricing, I would really have them be the same price. And that used to be Amazon policy. Yeah, I just I don't like this idea of trying to like, if you have an Amazon store and you have a Shopify store, trying to game one off the other. It's just like either do it or don't. Like either have an Amazon, be on Amazon and on Shopify, or like just be on one or the other. But this idea where one is going to offer like a degraded experience against the other one, that I don't like. Yeah, it's not up to you to decide where the person buys. It's you can decide, are, am I going to be there or not in that marketplace? Because at the same argument, it's like, well, if you're going to be on Amazon, why are you going to be on eBay? Are you going to be on Etsy? Where else are you going to list it? You provide It's still your brand. Provide the best experience you can across all platforms. Yeah. Now, that being said, I might just contradict myself. I think if you're doing like a new product launch or like a special product release, maybe do that only on your Shopify store. I agree with that. Have a What I see a lot of people do is they'll have just their best sellers on Amazon, but then like accessory items, other stuff they just have in their Shopify store. Yeah, that make, might make better sense because like, you know, accessories or trying to find, trying to find things on Amazon sucks. Like, if you're trying to find a specific product, it's horrible. Yeah. It's good if you're like, if a Google search leads you there, you'll get it. But if you're like typing in the Amazon search box, I want this specific like phone case or like pen or whatever, it's not, it, it's all, it's a shit show. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> Amazon is functionally a, a search engine at this point, a bad one. It's not ideal. And I question, like, okay, why is this? Why is this ranked this way? Why are they showing me this first? Are they getting, you know, or you click on a product and it's like, oh, well, did you want the cheaper Amazon Basics version? I'm so over Amazon. No, they're bad. Yeah. I don't like them. I don't like them anymore, and I don't like them for our customers anymore. Like, I, uh, or do you get off Amazon? Is our last question. I'm going with yes. Get off Amazon. I realize it's making you a lot of money right now, but uh, but and you know, don't just like jump off it and stop carrying it, but. I would be making the movements to get off it. So it's like, yeah, well, I'm adding new products or I'm rejiggering my product line. Maybe every time you do that, only do it on your Shopify store and let the, let the Amazon side of your business slowly wither. Because Amazon, you're just getting buried under other listings. You can't capture the emails and you can't capture the, the customers. You don't own the customer. You don't own the customer. You know, at any moment, someone could just show up and be like, oh, same thing. Made yeah, you get your, your listing hijacked. Yeah, your listing is hijacked. You know, it's like who... And sometimes it's hijacked by Amazon. Yeah. Which is demented. I mean, it's a great way to make money. Don't get me wrong. And more power to you if you can sell a lot and make a lot of money on it. But just, I would always have like a firewall or like an escape plan if I'm on there. Yeah, I wouldn't... I would certainly not want a majority of my, my income be reliant on Amazon. And when... When we have uh, moved people, Amazon sellers, and brought them onto Shopify, it's always the same story. You go, oh, well, why do you want to do that? What happened? Every time they say, because we think we're on borrowed time. Like, they're literally scared of Amazon. I talked to a guy two weeks ago, 
and he's a very successful Amazon seller, seller and was spinning up his Shopify store. And he said, with Amazon, it's like being an Amazon seller is like being in an abusive relationship. He said, half the time, it's great. The other half of the time, I want to call the cops. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was not... In, Amazon doesn't None of care. that was surprising. Amazon none doesn't of care about you at all. No. Like, just remember that. And I think that's been a really powerful distinction for Shopify, is to say, all right, we're entrepreneur-focused, we're merchant-first, whereas Amazon does not care about you. Yeah, Amazon is Amazon first. If like some Chinese, you know, Hong Hai trading company wants to make a knockoff of your product and dump it on Amazon, Amazon's like, sure, great. More money for us. We don't care. Yeah. Oh, this is selling well? Okay, well, we're adding that to our Amazon Basics line, and then we're going to advertise for free on your listing. Yeah. Thank you for that data. Yeah, anytime anyone searches for it, we're just going to put our product ahead of you in the search results. And the, the strangest part, just as long as we're bashing Amazon, Amazon's often not the cheapest. Once I canceled Prime and started shopping around, it's all, like Walmart and Target are often the cheapest. Yeah, my Prime was is up for renewal at the end of this month, and yesterday I logged in and was like, "Don't auto renew, just cancel it." Yeah, it's not worth it anymore. Movie, or we're done bashing Amazon. I think the answer is do the same price, provide a great experience, but don't make hay while the sun shines with that marketplace. But certainly be be looking for the escape hatch uh, with Amazon. For future episodes, uh, next week we got Ezra Firestone talking about Black Friday uh, and his Black Friday plans. We've got uh, my holiday email marketing guide. i got to update that. That's going to come out again this year. And I've noticed um, I haven't been advertising it, but certainly people are Googling it and starting to think about um, their, their Black Friday holiday emails because we're starting to get sales on that again. And I've not mentioned it at all so. until now, so that's cool. Uh, and then third thing, of course, we always need your questions. Twice a month, I post in our Facebook group and say, tell us what's on your mind. What do you need to know? What can we talk about? So join our Facebook group, search unofficial Shopify podcast on Facebook, join the group, uh, and then watch out for that announcement every two weeks and just comment there. This time we answered a hundred percent of the questions that people posted. So if you post your, your question, there's a very good chance we will actually answer it. And it's a great way, um, to help everybody by having this discussion in public, by working in public. So uh, that's all I got. That's good. All right. Let's leave it there. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles and turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. 
If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.